The story I want to share with you today as we start out uh, is an illustration from the Gospel of Matthew, Volume 1, by William Barclay. Barclay says, When Robert Louis Stevenson lived in the South Sea Islands, he used to always conduct family worship in the mornings for his household. It always concluded with the Lord's Prayer. One morning in the middle of the prayer, he rose from his knees and left the room. His health was always precarious, and his wife followed him out, thinking he was ill. She asked, is there anything wrong? Only this, said Stevenson, I'm not fit to pray the Lord's Prayer today. He said, no one is fit to pray the Lord's Prayer so long as the unforgiving spirit holds sway within their heart. If one does not put things right with his fellow person, they cannot put things right with God. Imagine the influence that Robert Louis Stevenson had on his family that day. Even though he was confessing something personal and and painful to his wife, he was showing the power of prayer at work in him at that moment. Now imagine if we did the same thing in in our workplaces, in in our community, in, in our church, or even more importantly, in our homes with our families. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come this morning, we look at your word, and I pray, Lord, that as we do, as individuals, we'll come to a place of repentance in our lives. As a a church, we'll come to a place of answering the call for repentance. That we'll, we'll turn around And we'll do good things for you. That we'll be uh, a vessel. We'll we'll allow ourselves to be a vessel that you can fill up, that we can pour out over others. I pray that what we do here today honors you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Repentance is one of those Christian concepts that, in my humble opinion, we do poorly if we do it at all. Husbands, dads. When was the last time you did something like Robert Louis Stevenson? When was the last time that you confessed to your wife or to your family your struggle in life? Usually we just mumble out something. Men, we're good at this. How was your day? Oh, rough day at work. We're good at that. And our wives are good at going, okay, let's have dinner. You don't press us because, you know, our jobs are boring. Let's face it, most of you are engineers. They don't want to know. All right? That's how it is. Rough day at work. Okay. Can't tell you about it anyways or I'd have to kill you. It's classified. You know. So we let it go. Exactly. (laughs) So we just let it go. It's just a rough day at work. You know, but the reality is life is rough. And I think that the reason God ordained marriage between a woman and a man is because we need each other. Uh, but, but men and women, let me tell you this. If you're not open and honest with each other in your marriage about your real struggles and your real temptations and the things that cause you to stumble, you're setting up your God-ordained marriage for man-made failure. We have to be people of repentance. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives. It starts with us in the home. We have to be people of repentance. We have to be people of accountability. And if you're not being accountable with your spouse about something, you're not leading your family very well. I'm going to put it out there for you. 
especially in our marriages and our families. We have to be people of accountability. No more secrets. Uh, This is Family Sunday, so I'm going to tell you real simply, secrets destroy families. Secrets destroy marriages. What's needed in our families and our marriages today, this repentance that you're going to hear me hit on all day long today for the next like two hours because I'm on it, is, is open, honest communication. That's what's needed to keep your family together. Robert Louis Stevenson, he's a great example of this. Yeah, he, he was a man who made mistakes. But he had that moment where he told his wife, I'm not fit to worship today. I'm not fit to finish this prayer because I'm harboring something against one of my brothers. I have an unforgiving spirit against someone. That's what he said to his wife. It doesn't go into detail if it was against her or against somebody at the office or or whatever it was, but he knew at that moment that he could not lead his family the way that he should with this spirit, this unforgiving burden on him. How about you? How'd you get here this morning? Where are you at? What are, are you holding? Are you holding an unforgiving spirit? Are you holding on to some bitterness? Are you holding on to, to some hurt feelings? Are you holding on to some broken heart? I don't know where you are. Moms, dads, parents, grandparents, kids. Think about that as we look at Hosea today. I think it's only fitting that on Family Sunday we're going to hear Hosea as he shares one final call of repentance to Israel as a nation and to Israel, the individual. Before he gets to the repentance part, though, he tells them one last time what's going to happen if they're non-repentant. Let's look at Hosea chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 9 through 16. Hosea starts out verse 9. You are destroyed, Israel, because you are against me, against your helper, Where is your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, Give me a king and princes? Right off the bat, Hosea says, You're against the Lord. He's reminding the nation of Israel, You are against your helper. You have alienated, that's a hard word, You have alienated yourself from God by asking God for kings and princes. God has been a constant, true help to the nation of Israel for years. And now, in this time of his people turning their back on him as they look to man-made help and to idols, God's letting them know none of these weak kings are going to be able to save them from the coming of Assyria. There's an attack coming. There's destruction that is coming from Assyria that they've never understood. My question for you and your family is this, and you're the only ones that can answer it and don't answer it out loud. Is your family on the verge of being destroyed? Are you against your helper? Are you against God? Are you setting up your family to be against God? Folks, if you're you're not training up your family in the Lord, you're setting them up to be against Him. It's very simple. If, If you're allowing excuses from your family to keep you from being involved or active here at Huntsville Christian Church or serving in our community, then you're allowing your kids' excuses to set up your families to be against God. Don't let the kings and the princes of our world separate you from God. It may be a good time today for you as a family to start laying down some things as we go through this day, as we begin to really worship God for real through His Word and through some opportunities we're going to give you later. But verse 11, Hosea continues, he says, So in my anger I gave you a king, and in my wrath I took him away. The guilt of Ephraim is stored up. His sins are kept on record. Pains as of a woman in childbirth come to him, but he is a child without wisdom. 
when the time comes, he doesn't even have the sense to come out of the womb. You see, God punished their desire for a king. He, he gave them what they wanted. He gave them a king, an imperfect ruler, a, uh, rather than a perfect God to follow. And if you remember way back as we've been going through the story series, at the very beginning of the stories, I, I shared with you all how God warned them when they asked for a king. Their very first king, he gave them a warning. He said, I am perfect, but a human king A king of your choosing is going to make mistakes. He's going to tax you. He's going to use your sons and daughters. He's going going to take things from you. And Israel hollered, give us a king. They begged him. So God gave him a king. But he warned him first. And now you're seeing this, this come to fruition. You're seeing this warning play out. Matter of fact, Dr. James Smith in his book, The Minor Prophets, makes this note. He said that during the 21 decades of northern kingdom history, there were nine dynasties. Bloody regicides and civil wars were the rule in that kingdom. Regicides, by the way, are the, the kingdoms, the kings killing each other, family turning on family, the royal family, that is. So, so regicides and civil wars were the rule in that kingdom. He goes on to say, Doc Smith, over the years the Lord had bound up the unrepentant sins of Ephraim, that it was hidden away, that every sin of the nation of Israel would be recompensed in this judgment that Hosea is telling them about right now. And so we look at it from the outside. The Assyrians are going to come and they're going to punish Israel. And we think, oh, horrible, horrible punishment, especially when I read these verses that are coming up in a minute. And we think that's so horrible. But, but it goes back to, over the years, this non-repentive sin of Israel is coming to be recompensed. I want to hit on verse 13 before we get any further. Hosea says, The pains as of a woman in childbirth come to him. Ladies, some of you know that pain. It's miserable. But he is a child without wisdom. When the time arrives, he doesn't have the sense to come out of the womb. Now, right there is the best cut down you could use on somebody. That boy didn't even have sense to come out of the womb. He didn't have sense enough to be born. That's rough because it's easy for the person that's being born. It's hard for the person delivering. So you understand that. What Hosea is saying here, this nation of Israel is unwise. Because even under the judgment that's coming, they are still delaying their conversion. It will not allow themselves to be born again. And and he's not talking about baptism here. As we know it, he's referring to the fact that their refusal to repent is going to cost them everything. He's telling Israel, like like someone who doesn't have sense enough to be born, God has has given you opportunities to to repent and to turn and change your way, and you haven't done it. For us today, though, we're kind of like Israel. We've got God's Word in its entirety. So many different versions, so many different languages, and yet we still refuse to do what it says. In its simplicity, Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. It's the same call that that Hosea gave Israel. Repent. Turn away. I pray that you won't be like Ephraim. My prayer is that you will have sense enough to come out of the womb. Verse 14 says, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? I will have no compassion. Even though he thrives among his brothers, an east wind from the Lord will come, blowing in from the desert. His spring will fail, and its well dry up. His storehouse will be plundered of all its treasures. 
The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against their God. They will fall by the sword. I'm going to stop reading the rest of that because it's PG-13. If you could read it yourself, you're old enough to understand it. That seems rough. But as we look at Hosea chapter 14, we're going to see something. I think it's pretty awesome what we're going to see in Hosea chapter 14. There are five things that Hosea shares with the Israelites about this final call to repentance. And if we read them, I'm going, to, I'm going to point them out to you as we get through these verses, but I want you to really think about this as we open this up. Hosea 14, verses 1 through 5, starts out with apparently my favorite word for the day. Repentance to bring blessing. That's the heading for it. Repentance to bring blessing. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you. And return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Here it is, folks. Moms, dads, parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters. Uh, This is for everybody. I want to make this really clear. The sacrifice that God desires the most is our own acknowledgement of our sin. Our own acknowledgement of, of our separation from him. Our willful separation from him. That's the sacrifice that he desires most. As we prepare for an opportunity of repentance, think about that. God doesn't care how much money you gave this morning. God doesn't care how much time you serve in the community. He doesn't care what everyone else thinks of you. He cares that you will return to Him. That you will acknowledge your sin before Him. The reality is that turning to God requires that we turn our backs on the world. And when we do this, our giving and our service, the fruit of our life will be obvious. Folks, our government will not deliver us. Our military power will not deliver us from our sins. Our celebrities and our movie stars and our football players, our rock singers, will not deliver us from our sins. Only God, our merciful Heavenly Father, can and will deliver us from our sins. If you're a struggling Christian today, you can be restored with a simple act of repentance. Verse 3 says this, Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Verse 4, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. Like I said, Hosea shares five things in these verses. And there are five things that Israel, um, that five things that repentance will bring Israel. With repentance, God will heal Israel's backsliding. With repentance, God will heal our backsliding. With repentance, God will once again love us freely. In the history of Israel, He stored up those sins because they were unrepentant. When we're repentant, God will love us freely once again. With repentance, God will turn his anger away from us. Unrepentant sin brings on discipline. It brings on the wrath of God, if you will. Hence, the Assyrian army is coming to get Israel and take them into captivity and bondage and death. Unrepentant sin. But with repentance, God will turn his anger away from us. With repentance, God will once again be beneficent towards us. He will once again bless us. But if you're going to live your life by, by being non-repentive, you can't expect God to give you anything good 
when what you give him is your rottenness. The last one here is from verse 5. It says, I will be like the dew to Israel. For those of you who don't know, Israel's in the desert. So a little bit of dew is a very refreshing thing. And for those of us who get caught up in unrepentant sin, a little bit of forgiveness from God at a time of repentance is a very refreshing thing. He says, I will be like dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. You see, the lily here is the image of beauty and and profusion. It's this beautiful thing. Kind of like us, we're created in God's image. And when when we're repentant, we'll be like the lily once again. There's a a pureness to that. There's a a beautifulness to that. And, And then sending down roots like the cedars of Lebanon, it refers to stability. Once again, you see, when we're repentant, we are once again on a foundation that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's when we, as Christians, we go into this mode of unrepentant sin where we, we slide off of that foundation, but when we repent and we come back, we're back on that foundation. Those, those roots go deep for us. Now, since it's Family Sunday, I want to make sure that our younglings really understand what repentance is, okay? Um, and so, I need a volunteer real quick. Um, Robbie, come on, hurry up. You have to do exactly what I say. That's why I chose Robbie. Come on. Watch your step. Bring that clear box over here, please. Just the box. That's all we need. Yep. Bring that. Right there. Good. Go grab the pitcher. Now, don't, don't. It's hard to find good help. Here's the thing. I have this empty glass, this jar, if you will. And this jar represents your life. Okay? Here it is. It's empty. And then Robbie has these M&Ms. Yeah. If he doesn't touch them, we might eat them later. The container of M&Ms represents the good things that God has in store for all of us when we're repentive. And this glass represents you when you're not repentive. And so... Go ahead and pour some M&M's in that glass. Don't talk. Don't touch. Just pour. 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 Okay, well, stop. Stop. What's the problem here? I saw that. Uh, there's no hole right there. Yeah. Yeah, see? Pour a little bit more. A little bit more. Yeah. It's still not full, though. Yeah. What? What? Essentially, what God will be pouring into us is not going in because we're not, we're not repentive. We don't want it. We're living rebelliously. Go, go grab that bag. Let's top this off one more time. Hurry up. We only got an hour. <laughs> I mean, that's just for me to speak. You know, fill it up. Good, good. Now, we'll do this. Good, good. Save those. Save those. <laughs> when, uh, when we are repentive, when, when we actually, watching kids, is how this works. When we turn around, hmm? we got that turn around. When we turn around and we allow God to fill us up. Would <laughs> you look at that? Keep going, keep going. Oh, it's overflowing even. How about that? 
you can go. You can take the bag that's left over. Don't eat them while we finish up. Share them later. You see how that works, guys? Especially the kids. Kids, I know it's kind of goofy, but you see how that works? Repentance, it doesn't work well when we just come in and say, sorry, God, and then we walk out and we keep our back turned to him. In order for repentance to really work, you have to be ready. It's about turning away from sin and turning to God so that we can all receive what he has for us. Now, I've given our younglings a good understanding of repentance. I want to make sure that I offer that same understanding to the rest of you in case you missed it because I used M&Ms and some of you are like, he just used all those M&Ms. <laughs> this next illustration actually comes from Kelly Mitchell. He's a pastor of Main Street Baptist Church in Goodman, Mississippi, and he tells this story. In May of 1846, 187 men, women, and children left from Missouri in a wagon train. That's how they used to travel back then, kids, in a wagon pulled by a horse. They didn't have cars. They left in a wagon train and headed to California. There was nothing exceptional about this group or the journey, and we would have probably never known about them had they not made the decision to try a shortcut. The shortcut was called the Hastings Cutoff. It was, as it was known, it was indeed a shorter route, but it had only been tried on horseback. It had never been tried by a wagon train. No wagon had ever made that journey. This group was known as the Donner Party. Some of you who like Western history from the old days may be familiar with this. Uh, they would not complete their journey. This group is famous because of allegations of, of cannibalism that occurred within the group while they were waiting to be rescued. You may think, well, that's just disgusting. What does it have to do with repentance and turning to God? Stay with me. We like to believe that no matter what, we would never do such a thing. It might be more accurate to say that as an individual, we've never been that hungry yet than to say, I would never eat that. I know people who have lived on bugs, and you go, never eat that. No, you've just never been that hungry. Uh, Kelly goes on and he says, uh, people say things like, I wasn't fed at church. He says, I assume they mean they didn't learn anything useful or they didn't feel the presence of God. He's also heard the charge, I don't like doing it this way or I don't like that version of the Bible or, hey, preacher, feed me this morning. He says he compares that to his kids when they come to him at home and say, there's nothing to eat in this house. And he says, I point out various options as parents have done. And they exclaim, I don't like that. His response is always the same. Then you truly aren't hungry yet. You know, you know who doesn't like what is spread on God's table? You know who doesn't seek repentance? The one who isn't really that hungry. The one who's seeking self-satisfaction. The one who's maybe just seeking validation for something. The one who wants to pick and choose the ways they will worship. Or the one who doesn't even think they need God. Those are the ones that, well, they're full. Full of themselves. Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus commends the one that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And when you hear that, Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You need to think Donner Party hungry. That's hungry. 
Hunger and thirst for righteousness is not just a, a nice thought. It's something that, that, that we should desire God's word. We should, we, should have, we should be so hungry and so thirsty to be a reflection of him. Nothing else will satisfy. We need to be desperate. Without pride, without our own will, without our own agenda. With one goal and one goal only, to be fed. And then to eat readily from whatever it is that God lays on the table. To accept whatever condition, correction, or assignment that God throws at us without hesitation. When we come to worship in such a way, according to Jesus, when we come before the Lord, don our party hungry, not only will you leave filled and content and restored, you won't be concerned about what people think of you when you repent. You won't be concerned about what people think of you when you ask for prayer. You won't be concerned about what people think of you when you ask for accountability or, or a partnership in your life so that you can honor God. Do you really think the Donner Party cared what people thought of them at about day 40? No food, starving to death? Nah. They were trying to stay physically alive. And we walk in here every week and we lie to each other. Some of you are spiritually starving right now, but you're so concerned with your outward appearance of having it all together. It's what we do. It's the Christian way today. We're so concerned with looking that we have everything together that we're, we're willing to leave here hungry because you aren't coming here to be truly filled to a point of overflowing. This meal that we're about to share with one another, it's just, it's just a small, unleavened cracker. It's a little bit of grape juice. This is no meal right here. This is no meal this is no four-course supper. This is no, you know, Ruth Chris fanciness here. This cracker and this juice will not physically sustain you. And if you take it in an unworthy manner, if you take it without a moment of repentance, if you take it without checking yourself, without being real before God with where you are in life, if you take it without being ready to accept whatever condition, correction, or assignment that He gives you without hesitation... This supper will not sustain you spiritually either. If you're coming here and your only act of worship for the week is based solely on what happens in this building and not the way that you live your life outside of this building, this supper will not sustain you spiritually. Taking the Lord's Supper on a Sunday but not engaging in His Word or spending time in prayer during the rest of the week would be the equivalent of eating breakfast on Monday and not eating again until the next Monday. Physically, you won't make it. And the reality is that some of you, most of you, are spiritually starving yourselves. I see what you post on social media. I see your hurt. You put it out there publicly. It's on the internet. It's forever. I hear about your struggles when you call me or when you stop by the office. I know what some of you are going through. I know what some of your families are going through. My prayer for this morning has been that God will awake our souls. That's why we started out with that song and then went right into his word. That, that we will desire to be doers of the word, not just hearers. This morning, we're going to have a time of remembrance. Let this also be a time of repentance and examination. And before we serve communion, we want to sing these worship songs. 
shown us a great example of what happens when we spiritually starve ourselves. He's shown us what we need to do in order to spiritually thrive. And it starts with repentance. Turning that cup over, letting God fill it up. From here on out, you're without excuse for your spiritual health. So if you leave here today still hungry and discontent, whose fault is it? Not ours. It's between you and God. It's been great to study through Hosea, to share God's word with you today, and to worship with you. I'm looking forward to a time of fellowship with everyone here in just a few minutes. And, but soon it'll be time for us to go from here. As you go this week, go thanking God for his plan and his patience with us. Go this week being focused on this call of repentance. If you have to repent daily this week, do it. It's okay. Remember, it's time for us to turn to God so that we may be filled to a point of overflowing, so that we're able to be the reflection in the hands and the feet of Christ. After all, He's the reason we have repentance, and He's the reason we have restoration before God today. Will you sing these last songs with us?